name is Rhonda Dixon. I'm a practicing attorney in Los Angeles. I handle criminal cases, civil rights law, evictions, immigration law, bankruptcy, and civil litigation. Uh, please reach out to me if you're an event organizer, actively planning protests or political events. You know, recently we had important people that were very significant in the civil rights movement pass away. And that would be like Elijah Cummings and John Lewis. And what they did during the civil rights movement was they marched along people like Martin Luther King and they fought for voting rights. And they got beaten with batons. They got put in jail. They got hosed down with high power water hoses. They got bitten by dogs. These are all civil rights violations. And we're seeing some of that happen again recently with the George Floyd protests and also protests from people that did not want to have to be quarantined. I've had people call me that have been shot by rubber bullets, and that's a civil rights violation because when you're peacefully protesting and police shoot you with rubber bullets or hit you with batons, they're violating your rights. I took a course in public policy, and one of my teachers is one of the founders of the Los Angeles chapter of Black Lives Matter. This was like 2013. This is before the first Black Lives Matter protest when we were talking about political science and political activism and advocacy. We talked about how a small group can affect change by staging, you know, outrageous behavior to get press, which will then give a voice to whatever they're protesting and get the press to actually pick it up. And that's exactly what happened with the Black Lives Matter. It started with three women protesting and kind of doing some outrageous things, like snatching the microphone from Senator Bernie Sanders when he was in his presidential election campaign and he was making a speech and some Black Lives Matters women just went on stage and snatched the microphone and started talking. That's what started to get them noticed. And then more and more their platform through social media and through all these stage activities began to catch fire and become viral. And then, of course, we have Situations like the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, three things that happened this year alone. Everybody's glued to their phones and their televisions and their computers watching the social media and watching these things play out. So when you do go to a protest, don't bring weapons. Bring water. Make sure your phone is well charged. Bring a battery charger. Bring comfortable clothes and shoes. Bring safety gear, perhaps a sign or banner stating your position, and friends who will march with you if possible. Park legally some distance away from the protest if you're driving, because the police cordon off protest areas and parking close to the protest may make it hard to go home. It may also expose your car to damage. People set cars on fire that are near the protesting area, or when they march over to another area, they start, you know, turning over cars, breaking the windows, and burning them. So if you don't want your car to be exposed to that, don't park close to the event. Try to get a rendezvous spot so that if you get separated from your group, you know where to meet. Case in point, we had a situation here on 3rd and Fairfax, which was a huge protest. I had a client call me stating that the client had been injured by a bullet, a rubber bullet that was shot point blank into her stomach. She was on 3rd and Fairfax, and she was actually a little bit away from the action. And she noticed that LAPD came up behind her. She looked around and said to them, you know, am I in the way? And they said, no. 
we're looking at the crowd that was about 20, 30 feet away from her, in front of her. She was on the sidewalk. So she said that all of a sudden she looked back because she saw them start to cock their guns. And she said, "Um, should I move? And they said, no, we're not aiming at you. And then she said all of a sudden she felt a searing pain in her arm. And as she turned around, she got shot in the stomach. And it was point blank. They were less than 10 feet away. So the rubber bullet actually penetrated her stomach. She was also by herself. She had gone there to meet someone, but she went by herself. She went on public transportation, so she didn't have a car. Bystanders had to help her get to the hospital, and she was bleeding. The police didn't help her. The sheriffs didn't help her. She had to go on her own to an emergency. And when she did get to the emergency, the emergency people were smart because they did an incident report, and they called the LAPD to make a report on her behalf. And they took pictures of the bullet and the wound, which was pretty bad. The rubber is actually compressed foam. So it actually fragmented. Not only did it penetrate, it fragmented into her body and was unable to be removed because of where it was located. Uh, She had to have an open wound for seven days at least. And she had to run the risk of getting an infection. And it was very painful. Rubber bullets, and you've seen some of the other injuries that have been suffered. Some people have lost their eye. A woman in San Diego lost her eye because she was shot with a rubber bullet. So those are civil rights violations because they're not supposed to shoot you point blank. They're not supposed to shoot without warning. And they're not supposed to shoot in the head area. There's certain areas they're not supposed to even aim for or shoot. But a lot of people have been getting hit in the face, hit in the eye, hit in soft areas. Those are cases where you want to definitely get a lawyer because those cases you can get a good amount of money um, because they were totally behaving out of character and they weren't supposed to do any of that. That's a Section 1983 violation of your civil rights. And you have to be aware that the crowd itself might become violent. They may start running um, and hurt you. So you want to try to make sure that you're very vigilant about what's going on. And if you don't want to go to jail, maybe you don't want to get into the protest. But if you do, you you have to realize that you're at risk of being arrested and that you should have your attorney's number in a card. And you should also make sure to record anything that you think should be recorded or make sure that someone else is there to record it so that you have your evidence. This person, when she got shot, didn't really get, she did, somebody did record some things for her, but she didn't get people's information to get witnesses. The Black Lives Matter people, they have attorneys already on deck, so they already know that they're there to possibly get arrested, that certain things might happen. At a protest, if people get stopped by police, it really depends on the circumstances, but for the most part, you're going to try to remain calm, be polite with the police. Never run and never engage in any physical struggle, even if your rights are being violated. You try to to get out peacefully, but the problem is, too, you've seen what the police officers do. Sometimes they fight with you. Sometimes, you know, they get into a frenzy. You see what they did. um, There was a man, an older man. Remember, he was an elderly man. It was in New York, I believe, Buffalo, New York. And the police literally, he was just trying to talk to them, and they pushed him down forcefully to the point where you could hear his head hit the cement, and they literally cracked his skull. And he wasn't um, being, you know, disagreeable or disrespectful or anything. But it's just once, what happens is the police, their adrenaline gets going. 
And when they get involved in these altercations, it seems that they sometimes go overboard. Um, and I've seen that happen. There was a case in UC Davis where there were peaceful protests by students, and then one officer just started spraying pepper spray in everybody's face. They were all kneeling, and he sprayed pepper spray in their face, and that was really um, pepper spray is very painful, and he was spraying it directly into their eyes and their face. So you know, it's it's hard to tell people to just sit there and take it <laughs> when they're being, and it's against human nature. So you know. Um, that's that's the problem. Like it's a, assuming that officers are doing what they're supposed to do, then yes, you can remain calm and polite and talk to them and not run away. But you know that that's not always the case. Sometimes the officers are perpetrating crimes. That's why we have the Section 1983 civil rights violations to and you know to sue them uh, and sue them them civilly for damages for um, violating people's civil rights. So and it's it's important too to get their badge number if you can. Find out, identify the officers that, uh, that that did it. Now that they have to have body cameras too, if you can identify the officer, then we can pull their body cam and see what they said and did. And we can get that evidence as well and make sure you can identify them and you can let them know that. I've taken down your badge number so that they know that they're accountable for their behavior. You can ask them if, the, you know, questions, but in this, in the case of a riot or when they're, you know, protesting, the officers will act differently. They will claim that you're obstructing justice when you ask them why you're being stopped and um, those kind of questions, which seem normal. They will probably take them as if you are resisting arrest or not obeying, are obstructing justice, not obeying their orders. Um, but remember that officers are usually wearing body cameras and you can also film them. You can also um, make sure that you get their badge number and so that you can hold them accountable later because that's probably the most important thing they're going to be in a frenzy and they're really a lot of times they get uh they go overboard because they get i think i think they get hyped up in the situation and they start doing things they're not supposed to do but if you do get detained and after the fact everybody's detained you can ask them why you're being arrested and are you being arrested and if you can leave and if they say you're not being arrested, then you're free to go, then calmly leave. They have a right to detain you for a short time, but if you're, but you can always ask if you're being arrested, if you're free to go. You don't have to answer questions that they ask you, not in the state of California. Um, you have the right to remain silent. You don't have to really identify yourself or give them any ID or driver's license or anything like that if you're walking. You don't have to provide any of that information. You can actually take the fifth and you can actually tell them that they need to talk to your lawyer. Always decline permission to search. Do not allow them to search you. They will search you, but if you didn't give permission, then later on we may be able to use that in court as a defense, stating that you didn't give them permission and they didn't have probable cause or reasonable cause to stop you and or search you. So if you are arrested, immediately assert your right to remain silent and state that you want to speak to an attorney and that you don't consent to any searches. And hopefully at that time, you have my card in your pocket and you can call me. Generally, you should follow orders given by police at a protest. Um, not obeying orders given by police at a protest can cause you to be charged with obstruction of justice. So the police can then arrest you. 
you know, you're basically asserting your First Amendment right to assemble and your First Amendment right to protest or free speech, state what your opinion is regarding something. The only um, issue there is that, you know, you have to be willing to understand that the police can also, they will violate your rights at times. And so that's where we have this, this intersection between your freedom of speech and your right to assemble, and then the police coming in and stating that they have the right to disperse because they think it's a public health or a public safety threat. We can always litigate that later, but in the present moment, you know, it can result in you being injured and being arrested. But if you know that that's your, what you're wanting to do, then you should always have your attorney's information handy, like a card in the pocket, so that you can get to it easily. So if the police are behaving badly, a cell phone recording is good. However, I've seen the police come up and snatch cell phones and then try to arrest you for obstruction of justice just for recording. But that is a violation of your civil rights and your free speech. So if you see them doing that, it is important that we document it, especially for people that can't document it. Like, look what happened in the case of George Floyd. He couldn't take the video. but there were bystanders that did. If you took the picture, like say the picture with George Floyd, um, or like say Philando Castile when his girlfriend was filming on Facebook Live his last moments after he had gotten shot by an officer who stopped him for a taillight. One of his red uh, taillights was out. And he stopped him for that, supposedly. And when he approaches the vehicle, he starts talking to him and he's cooperating. So that's why I say about this whole cooperation thing, it's not always, some people assume that the police wouldn't behave badly if these people didn't have a bad attitude or if they didn't, if they um, just would comply with everything the police officer said, even if it's ridiculous. Well, he did everything that you're told to do. He was actually a school teacher. He um, had to inform, you know, he said, look, I'm, I'm getting my license out, but I need to inform you that I have a legal license to carry um, a concealed weapon. And just as he said that, he got shot three times. So the officer who stopped him for a taillight apparently perceived, and he actually got off on this, he perceived that a black man having a concealed weapon license was a threat to him. And he had to kill him. And that was his knee-jerk reaction. And unfortunately, the rules are the subjective, the subjective belief of the police officer versus what is, you know, reasonable under the circumstances. Now, I have to say that the law in California has changed, and you have to have just cause in order to take a life. So in that particular scenario, we haven't really tested the law, but if, in fact, it just became law recently, if, in fact, someone was stopped for a red taillight, an officer does not have the right to take their life over an infraction. And that's basically what happened. This man could have never even been incarcerated, much less killed for a taillight. But this is what African-American males and, and most people, they have been dealing with for a long time is this perceived threat 
And the fact that the police have qualified immunity and the fact that the police are able to say that in my mind, I was fearful for my life. And it's not based on what a reasonable person would think. It's not based on the circumstances. It's based on his personal belief. And so I'm raised in a country that thinks that black males are predators and that they are dangerous. And so I see a black male. He tells me he has a gun. It's reasonable for me to shoot him and kill him, even though he's not doing anything threatening to me. But for me, I feel that's threatening because I've been raised in a country where black males are predators. They're threatening. I've been told this all my life. I've seen it on television. I'm a police officer. So in my mind, I'm afraid and I have a subjective, which means it's only me. I'm, this is my personal feeling. I feel fearful and I took his life because I was afraid. That's all they have to prove. They don't have to prove that it was reasonable under the circumstances. They don't have to prove that they went through any different protocols. And then on top of having this subjective belief that this person is dangerous to me, the other part is qualified immunity. If they're in commission of their job while they commit a crime, they have a qualified immunity from prosecution. Now, the qualified immunity was actually started by the United States Supreme Court in a decision that was held in, in like 1980-something, 1980-something. It's not a decision that's constitutional or it was always there. Basically, in an opinion of the Supreme Court of the United States, they used the word qualified immunity and stated that a person who is acting under color of law, meaning they're doing their job, then they have qualified immunity. That applies to the President of the United States as well as it applies to police officers and other public officials while doing their job. When you're protesting, you could also note if there's cameras like on stores on the street, you know, there's surveillance cameras. And, and if something happens, then um, you would be able to get those surveillance camera footage maybe to corroborate your story. So. These are all things that we look at, you know, later on. But even, you know, even when you're going there, you can make sure to look around and see if there's cameras around so that you can be able to use them for evidence if you need to. Police officers argue that filming them puts them at risk. But why does it put them at risk? For exposing them doing something they're not supposed to do? No, it actually puts them accountable. It makes them accountable. And that's what they don't like. They don't want people scrutinizing them and saying, oh, they weren't doing their job properly. This is what they did wrong. They don't want people to see that. Or they're going to get sued for doing something wrong. And here's the evidence to prove it. So they don't want that evidence coming out. So basically, they're, they're tampering with evidence. And that's why we say that they have to have body cams. But their body cams, so there's different perspectives on the camera. When you see George Floyd, if you were just looking at the body cams, which they do have another perspective where you just see the officer's body cams, you know, that's another perspective. You wouldn't have seen the expression on the officer's face as he was, cho you know, choking the life out of George Floyd. You wouldn't have seen George Floyd's face as he called for his mother as he was dying. That was the perspective of a bystander watching. If you get arrested at a protest, they usually have large, <laughs> we used to call them back in the day, the paddy wagon. <laughs> they, used, they have these large buses or vehicles that hold a multiple number of people that they bring in to arrest people. And they just hurt everybody. 
in a certain area and they start just putting them in the car, um, handcuffing them and putting them in the car. And um, people can get injured in that process because, um, you know, they may rough handle you a little bit um, in that process. And at that time, they probably took your phone and you probably don't have a way to record. But if you could try to memorize the officer's names or badge numbers, that would be great because we can pull their video. Then, you know, you're just going to have to be calm until you get to the station. Then they will book you. Sometimes they'll just book and release you. Other times if they're going to detain you, then they will um, give you your phone calls. Now, in the days of COVID-19, they are not detaining people so much, especially not if it's a misdemeanor or, you know, if it's not a serious offense. Even some serious offenses, they're not incarcerating people because they do not want to overburden the prison system. They don't want to also subject the prison system to getting somebody that's infected with COVID-19 because it's such an enclosed system that it kind of, it just runs rampage through the system. So during this time period in a lot of criminal matters, including the protest matters, they're just booking and releasing people. And they're also allowing you to appear in court via video or audio and not in person. So that's good. But you'll also need your lawyer. So it is still important to call your lawyer and make sure that you are prepared to defend your case. Many of the cases will be dropped, hopefully. Um, maybe there's not enough evidence against you to say that you were, you know, actually violating the law because they end up just pick, pulling in a lot of people. So you do want to call your attorney to make sure that you defend the matter because there's a lot of defenses you could have and that could result in the matter being dropped and not put against your record. The arrest record can be expunged and destroyed. There is, in California, there is a specific action to do that. And you might want an attorney to do that for you and get that done so that when you do have a background check run, sometimes some employers, they run the background check and you got released. But if you were arrested, the arrest record is still there. And sometimes they can use that against you. If you get arrested at a protest, say nothing, nothing at all. And when I say nothing, I mean absolutely nothing. If they're accusing you of a crime, they have the burden of proof. They mean the district attorney, the prosecutor, whether it's just the attorney general, the district attorney, the city attorney, whoever the prosecutor is, bears the burden of proof. And that's why they say whatever you say can and will be used against you. If you, you could say, I'm taking my um, Fifth Amendment right, but you don't say anything after that because anything you say opens the door, A, they can use it against you, and B, you're, you're giving up your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination when you say something. So you say nothing. And I'm going to give you an example. So I have one of my relatives call me early in the morning, and this person is always not the most pleasant person, but today this person is extremely pleasant. Hey, how you doing? And, and I'm saying, okay, what did you do? So my relative says, oh, you know, it's so funny. The police are outside. They're going from door to door looking at people's cars and knocking on their doors. They're across the street from me right now. And I said, really? Did you do anything that you should be worried about? And she says, no. I said, are you sure? She says, no. She goes, oh, my goodness, the police are coming over here. 
So I said, well, are they they're going to knock on your door? She said, oh, yeah, they're coming to knock on my door. And I said, okay, when you go to the door, ask them if they have a search warrant. If they don't have a search warrant, do not let them in and do not say anything to them. Tell them you're taking your Fifth Amendment right. So what does she do? She opens the door and she tells the police, you're going to have to excuse my language. This is a direct quote. Fuck you, punk. My niece is an attorney and she told me that I don't have to say anything to you. And she proceeded to slam the door in his face. To which he proceeded to knock on the door, come in and handcuffed her because the day before she had been involved in a hit and run. And when she left the scene, she said, fuck you, punk. I don't have to stop. So this is called modus operandi. He knew he had the right person when she used the exact same phrase with the police officer that she used when she left the scene of a hit and run accident. So you can see how anything, anything, anything you say can and will be used against you. And that was the main evidence against her was that she used the same exact phrase that she used when she left the scene of the accident. So if you want to host an event, and even if it's considered a peaceful event, um, say you're doing a rally for a candidate, or, you know, it could easily turn into something else if another group shows up. For instance, we've had situations where Democrats are on one side, Republicans are on another side, and it starts into a conflict or protest. Um, we've had white supremacist groups show up at a Black Lives Matter rally that was supposed to be peaceful, and then it turns into something else. It is important to, because the police do this, actually. When I worked for the DA's office in the appellate division and then also for the district attorney's, they had like a um, California District Attorneys Association that was a support group for, for them, for the prosecutors. And what we would do is write cheat sheets and then there are DAs that would come to talk to the police and explain to them about probable cause, reasonable suspicion. Um, they would also tell them about new cases that came down from the California Supreme Court or United States Supreme Court and how they should behave in like cases where they were able to assert reasonable cause. Like say for instance, a case comes down that says that if you smell marijuana, you can search the whole vehicle and, you know, from, you know, from you can rip the seats out, everything because you smelled marijuana, even though they weren't committing any crime and you stopped them. Now, that can be reasonable cause or probable suspicion, Re you know, um, probable cause or reasonable suspicion that can constitute that one case comes out that says smelling marijuana constitutes that. Do you realize that right after that, you're going to get a whole bunch of cops that have been trained by the prosecutor. They're going to come out and say every single time they have a case where they really didn't have a reason to stop the person except for they were probably driving while black or driving while Latino or somebody they just thought, you know, they wanted to stop, but they really didn't have a reasonable suspicion or probable cause to stop that person. They're going to say, oh, you know, I smelled marijuana. That's the ticket. That's what it was. I smelled marijuana. Even though they search the vehicle from cover to cover and find not one scintilla of marijuana, somehow the court will not, they'll totally ignore that and say that, oh, yeah, they had, they had probable cause or reasonable suspicion. And that they're trained to do that. I'm not saying they're lying, but it's kind of a coincidence that after they get that training, then all the cases that are kind of shaky, they have smelled marijuana, even though they never found any marijuana. It is a good idea 
to train people and let them know what their rights are in advance of any kind of peaceful or even non-peaceful protest. And the reason why is the police do the same thing. They are trained on how they can try to make their arrest stick and be a good bust. So you need to know your rights as well. So you need to know how you can protect yourself and make sure that even later on, you have a defense that can be used in court. If you're arrested or you're taken to the police station or you want someone to just give um, a talk about what your rights are and what you should do in these circumstances, uh, my name is Rhonda Dixon. I'm a practicing attorney in Los Angeles. You can learn more about my work at DixonJusticeCenter.com. I handle criminal cases, civil rights law, evictions, immigration law, bankruptcy, and civil litigation. Uh, please reach out to me if you're an event organizer actively planning protests or political events. Um, I can help ensure those you bring to a protest are informed about how to exercise and protect their civil rights. If you're arrested, please reach out to me at 877-384-5239. Once again, 877-384-5239. The content in this podcast is provided as is, no representations are made that the content is error-free. The information provided in this podcast does not constitute legal advice. It is provided for general informational purposes only. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein, and your interpretation of it, is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Information in this podcast may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. No one should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information in this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2020 Rhonda Dixon. All rights reserved. For more information about Rhonda Dixon and the Dixon Justice Center, visit DixonJusticeCenter.com.